to Normalize This, where we are dissecting sexual vocabulary, asking intimate questions, and starting necessary conversations. I'm your host, Kenny Francoeur, and this is Normalize This. Let's get to work. So I have a confession to make. I am a poppers fanatic. I can't help myself. I just love the little guys. Now, poppers are actually the thing that friends, lovers, Romans, countrymen most ask me about. These little vials are shrouded in mystery, stigma, and misinformation. And I am going to debunk the fluff out of them right now. What are poppers? Poppers are an inhalant. They're like a more grown-up, sexier version of huffing glue. It's a liquid chemical that is sniffed resulting in the user potentially experiencing an increased sex drive, a sense of euphoria, and its primary purpose during sex, a relaxation of the muscles in the inner walls of the vagina, anus, or throat. Now, ain't those popper things illegal? Well, it's complicated in some places, but the short answer is no, they're not. Like uh, like little criminal chameleons, manufacturers of poppers, which are scientifically referred to as amyl nitrite, uh, those manufacturers change the chemical combination just slightly each time new restrictions get enacted to keep themselves safe from the law while also making sure the product has the same effect on the consumer. Ah, clever, clever. Then, for added security, they're generally marketed as alternative products so they can be sold commercially. Now, you'll find poppers in stores sold under the guise of room deodorizers or nail polish remover, leather polish, or VHS cleaner, because nothing screams this product will clean off your VHS copy of The Great Mouse Detective like a product called Jungle Juice. Speaking of, there's a lot of brands. There's Jungle Juice, Rush, uh, Double Scorpio, Manscent, Amsterdam, The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Now, maybe that last one is fake, but maybe not. You know, who knows? I've seen a lot of crazy names. I even once saw uh, a a pumpkin spice-scented brand of poppers, proving definitively once and for all that white people, uh, we cannot be trusted. The effects of poppers generally last anywhere from 10 seconds to a minute. After sniffing, your blood vessels dilate, causing an almost instant increase in heart rate and blood flow. This causes a sense of heat and hopefully excitement. It is at this point that it becomes necessary for me to state that if you are on any form of heart medication, poppers are a no, not never. Also, if you have a penis and take ED medication like uh, Cialis or Viagra, you should definitely not add poppers into the mix for the sake of your blood pressure. Back to the rush. That rush of blood is also causing the relaxation of involuntary muscle in the body, which could make vaginal or anal sex more pleasurable for the receptive partner, or make deep throating easier, as the throat's muscles would relax slightly and not constrict around the ding-dong. Some owners de penis who take a whiff or a whiff too many might also experience a loss of their erection because of that muscle relaxation. Others won't. Ah, what an exciting game of wait and see, huh, guys? So why are they called poppers if they don't pop? Poppers used to be sold in small, very thinly walled glass capsules wrapped in a a fabric. You could crush the capsule filled with amyl nitrite uh, with your thumb and forefinger and inhale the vapor through the fabric. The crushing made a popping sound, so poppers they were called. Now, poppers are packaged in uh, small vials with twist tops. And while most people uh, untwist and inhale directly from the vial, some people soak pieces of cloth or cotton and then use those instead so they can keep their bottle closed and set aside. 
while being heavily associated with sex, in the 70s, they started to become uh, a party drug that'd be indulged in at clubs and discos for the sake of enhancing sensations while dancing. Uh, so no, no, poppers aren't necessarily a healthy substance. You should only use poppers if your health allows you to take a substance that would temporarily raise your heart rate. And most importantly, you, sh you should only take them if you really want to and you feel comfortable. However, many sources will tote some untested claim that poppers increase the likelihood of contracting HIV. Incorrect, stigmatizing language like that incenses me. They claim that poppers increase the potential for risky behavior, which can lead to the contraction of HIV. This is rooted in harmful stigma about HIV. HIV is not just spread because of risky behavior, and to assume so is to try and shame those who have the virus. You can be against consuming poppers and also productively state your reasoning without trying to instill fear within the queer community while also fostering fear of the queer community. Just because queer people both make up the majority of poppers consumers and are disproportionately affected by HIV does not mean there is some correlation between the two. Now, uh, oh, ooh, for the love of Pete, don't spill your poppers on your facial skin or private bits as the chemical is an irritant. The poppers burn is a real thing and it can really dry out and irritate your skin or cause rashes or pain or discomfort. And under no circumstances, ingest the poppers. And keep that lid tightly sealed after each use because they will start to evaporate and lose their potency each time they're exposed to air. In the words of renowned poppers fanatic Benjamin Franklin, guests, like opened bottles of poppers, go bad after three days. Hey you! Yeah, you! Are you a part of a business or organization that would like to advertise on this podcast? Well, lucky you, because we have advertising space galore. All inquiries can be sent to info at normalizethispodcast.com. That's info at normalizethispodcast.com. And welcome back from our little break. Now, one of today's subjects is bondage. Now, while I can only assume that uh, bondage in its many styles has been in existence since you know, the beginning of humanity, or, you know, rather, the beginning of when, like, humans started to feel sexual, we actually have records of it as far back as antiqu antiquity in, uh, like, famous ancient Greek art. And today, it has not lost any of its thunder. Uh, a recent study showed that, uh, of Americans surveyed, that 58% of Americans have a desire to try some kind of bondage, but only 27% have actually participated in any form of bondage. Now, to talk on this and many other subjects today, I am very pleased to have my guest, a pro switch. We have Margot Rose. Thank you so much for being with us, Margot. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here. Uh -huh. So, first off, just for people who don't know, can you uh, describe what a pro switch is? Okay, um, a pro switch is... Um like a pro-dom, except um, we dom, we sub, we switch, um, we do just fetishy things that are, like, not based on power exchange, and 
also like more vanilla sort of companionship. It really sort of encompasses a lot of everything, but it's like um, a sex worker that you know specializes says I'm knowledgeable in BDSM and you know I'm comfortable in all these roles which I am (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so when we when we talk about bondage I feel like there are particular images that come to mind but it can include so much so when you hear something like bondage if you were just to like rattle off things that are included in that category, like wh- what what are they? What are things that more than just you know uh, a handcuff? Um, bondage. I I usually typically go to, especially because I love doing rope um, as a top. I, I use a lot of rope. Um, there's rope bondage, and there's like sort of the Western style, and then shibari, which is like the Japanese style. Um, there's mummification, which is like, um, like classically, um, it's wrapping someone up in pallet wraps, so they're like in a cocoon. Um, bondage can be, it can be balloons, I've seen those used as bondage, like sort of the circus balloons. Oh. Um, yeah. So like blown up and then used? Yeah, knotted together and circled around the person. Wow. That can be bondage. There's like bondage tape, which is... Um, kind of almost like this rubber that sticks to itself, but not the person. I mean, you can use duct tape if you want to go that way, but um, it's the nicer thing to do, especially if you're going to go around, you know, the face and hair and that sort of thing. Yeah, duct tape doesn't doesn't sound too cute no, when it comes to no, the face. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, any as creative as you can get, you can um, bondage it. Is yes. <laughs> But that's so interesting because, like, yeah, I think we have, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like levels and experiences to the bondage experience. Right. It, it can go up to needle bondage and all of that, <laughs> but it can also be, you know, rope, ties, and like, right. and even within that, simple oh, and complex. Are really, really scared of rope, to be honest. Like, um, it's usually the first thing that people ask to learn, and as soon as, like, these are basic. You can use the same knots that you tie your shoes with, but people get start to get nervous. I think it's because it's um, they find themselves it's slower than you expect, and there's that sort of self consciousness when you're still learning a skill and you don't feel sexy when you're self conscious. Oh, f- fumbling around with rope. Oh, I'm so sorry. Please wait. Right, I know, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I see how it's intimidating. Um, even, like, the Velcro ones, like, if it's your first time using them, um, you can sort of find yourself, like, fumbling around, like, having trouble with the clips. Like, I think people get very scared off just by the idea of, like, looking klutzy. Mm. And when you were uh, earlier on, when you were talking about rope technique, you were saying there's a Western style, and mm-hmm. w- w- what are the two styles you brought up? The Western style is, um, it's more, think of it like cowboys, and like, it's aesthetically more simple looking. Okay. Um, shibari, shibari is a lot of different, like, tensions, some very intricate designs, um, suspension, um, I guess you could suspend someone Western style, like, you know, if you're just suspending someone by their ankle, that's pretty simple. <laughs> but um, Shibari does get very, um, very complex, like, um, and you definitely have to start to learn more about, like, you know, anatomy and um, safety type things. Um, but it's very beautiful and very fun. <laughs> mm. Then there's the factor of, like, um, do I trust someone enough to do this with them? Like, um, 
do I feel like I can take it? And then, you know, this is now going to the bottom. Like, um, will I be able to, like, you know, can I trust this person? Like, and trust them to keep me safe? You had, um, you had just brought, the, you said it earlier, too, and I just want for people who are listening, I feel like we hear the terms top and bottom mm-hmm. uh, very frequently when it comes mainly only to gay men who are having sex as a, <laughs> as a like, position of a act Uh, can you just mention or or speak to what that means um (laughs) well it can be really you know replace sex with just about any verb Mm -hmm. um the top is the one doing the action like giving the bottom is the one receiving though um in bdsm I, i like to remind people that the top is not always the dominant one and the the bottom is not always the submissive one. Like, um, it can really go all sorts of ways. Like, definitely, um, there are people who are dominant, who enjoy, like, um, pain, who enjoy to be the receivers. Um, I would consider myself one of those. Mm. I like I like to be the receiver, like, all a the time. A dumb bomb. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, the top is always the, the sort of the giver of the action, the bottom's the receiver. And so uh, you also brought this same thing up uh, a moment ago as well about some people might not be comfortable because it's about trusting your partner or trusting the situation. When you are interacting with clients, something that when we spoke months ago Mm -hmm. uh, that really stuck out to me was uh, how much care and how responsible you feel for your clients. And I think that is kind of a, a misconception that people might... Uh, think when they think about anyone who might be a not a pro switch but a professional dom thinking right. that it is about this it's aggression or it's cruelty or if it's how do you um what is the conversation like with clients when it comes to consent when it comes to stopping or starting or you know how, how do you find you're able to make people comfortable in those situations um, it's interesting because sometimes, sometimes there are like real sit down conversations, you know, about your, you know, what you like and your hard limits, but most of the time not. Like it's a lot less discussed than when I'm, you know, about to play with someone personally. Um, it's a lot more like we sit down, we sort of chat, like, you know, um, you know, what are you into? But like, it's sort of just like going slow, like presenting each thing, um, letting it sit, like presenting it verbally or visually rather than just doing it, gauging their reaction, say, how do you feel about this? Like, um, and then, you know, kind of being very sensitive to like their body language, um, you know, obviously what they say, listening to it. Um, but I do know that people come to me like, um, feeling a large amount of trust because I am very open with the things that I've done. And so I'll, you know, gauge their interest in things and then sort of evaluate, like, what am I actually comfortable doing? Mm. So let's say, let's a hypothetical, we have a random couple somewhere who mm-hmm. wants to try to incorporate some sort of bondage they they have purchased a rope they have purchased a tie they have something but they don't necessarily know what to do or they don't know what to purchase mm-hmm. what do you what do you suggest to that couple as a as a baseline for starting introducing this into their into their love life 
Um, I would say get natural fiber rope. Um, that's if that's not something you're quite ready to invest in, something nylon, like so- something soft. Um, but the natural fiber has like a nice sort of like roughness to it that can be a part of sensation play. Um, learn how to do um, learn how to do just one column ties. Um, one column tie to one column tie, that sort of thing, which is just like wrist to like bedposts, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, you know, start very simple because like, man, you have no idea how many people would live in the starfish position on their bed. Like, <laughs> but, you know, go slow and remember that it's not just about like these knots. It's also about the sensation of like putting it on your partner and, you know, it's sort of also building their trust because like one thing we don't think about a lot is like our wrists have a lot of nerves in them and if you're tying them really tight not only is your partner kind of kind of be like thinking about their wrists the whole time that you're doing stuff they might actually have like nerve damage or something like that which is not fun not the goal no, of a pleasant goal. sexual experience no. exactly yeah. um but yeah i would um start with something like that and i think having that rope is great for when you start moving up to like um you know more like decorative body ties because again it's like being very close to your partner, like moving the rope against their skin, and be able to incorporate a lots of other sensation play. It, it's a lot of fun just like working on these things, like yeah. workshopping, you can make, you know, you make friends through it, you can like find a broader community of people who are interested in this, like, um, and you get to spend a lot of time just talking while you work on it. So it's a great way to sort of, and then maybe you'll find out like, you know, little things that you can add to your like, sensual repertoire that aren't like that sensual that surprise you about your partner <laughs> so speaking of surprising things let's say it's a couple that's a little more risky a little a couple that wants to that, that might have already done the starfish right. a limb on each bed post but wants that next step right okay well my go-to rope is um i love paracord um paracord yeah okay. it's a lot thinner um and it's pretty cheap i just buy like um it in like you know bulk on amazon and cut it and like burn the ends um and i usually will have like a noose on one end just to start because it gives you a loop to just pull through you can go very fast um you don't suspend with it it's too thin um it would be too easy to hurt someone and a lot of the ties um I don't keep keep people in very long. It's a lot of predicament type stuff. So, like, I mean, my favorite thing is, like, balls to something. <laughs> <laughs> I am a big fan of that. Um, like, if you look at its hojujitsu, um, it's more the prisoner ties. So okay. they were ties for, like, um, you know basically like tackling someone that a lot of them start like at the neck so they have like a breath play element worked in so they will start at the neck go to your limbs grabbing them very quickly a lot of times in places where you know normally you're taught like don't put rope there um because they're prisoners they didn't really care so much about um you know their their you know functioning limbs (laughs) afterwards um But it's very fast, it's very good for predicaments, it's very good for people that, like, um, you know, are always like, what's next? Mm -hmm. Um, 
and can definitely put people in just like interesting situations and keep people on their toes like I enjoy that a lot and also it's like it's accessible I think that sometimes when people you know go for like the shibari stuff they look at um you know some of the Japanese riggers and people here who are just like amazing they're artists and that can also be very intimidating like um, because I mean it looks like art art like it's not just yeah. like how we call like some things like art just because they look nice this is art that right. is happening on these bodies and with this rope it's amazing to see yeah no and it's awesome and some of it is some people do very very formal like you know go to workshops where um they're taught by um you know taught by someone who has a reputation um they're learning their forms and um but a lot of times a lot of people end up taking those and sort of adjusting them to their own play to their partners um you know you can get just as creative with it but i do think that sometimes it has that intimidation factor and i like that paracord really does not like it doesn't really um have an exclusivity to it okay and also i think what's nice to even looking back at the uh at like the the simpler forms of like the the beginner beginner there is a sense of exploration that needs that that almost first and foremost needs to be part of your sex life a want for that exploration yeah no totally like it's all all about the process my mentor i guess like was um i met him at like um an aerial class and um we were we got to talking and i think i told him that um at the time i was trying out like I was stripping. It's I know now, looking back, like you should not be a submissive stripper. It does not work. Like <sighs> if I went back now, I'd be fabulous. But at the time, at the time, life was, teaches us things. Right, we have our experiences. Exactly. But he was like, "Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you for telling me. I'm a gay BDSM porn star, and I have a dungeon, and you should come check it out." And I was like if he kills me tomorrow like I deserved it that's gonna be like too crazy if that headline ends up um in the papers so um he basically um you know when I expressed an interest in that because it matched up so much so well with like basically all the weird stuff that I was doing in art school um he set me up like helped me post my first ad and like hung out in the closet for my first session um Hmm. where i tied up a cock and balls and um (laughs) and then you know as one does you know just the average nightly cock and ball tie up right exactly (laughs) well i've gotten fancy now like whirly birds and like shit like that (laughs) (laughs) oh they're great but um yeah he was there for my first session and then he was like and then he was going to be gone for two weeks. So I spent a lot of time, like, on my computer, like, looking things up. Um, I didn't, because I was using this private dungeon, I did not have, um, I didn't have, like, other people there to sort of, like, ask about how to do these things. He taught me, like, a few basic things to start that I could work on, but, um, it was a lot of like also clients teaching me um teaching me things some of them good some of them bad i like things that i would never ever do again like using a sewing needle and thread to like suture someone that i'm like looking back and i'm like oh my god why but i think a lot of people had that experience (laughs) the i think that's the the client's fetish like yeah it's an individual thing for sure but um 
No, and eventually, as time went on, like, um, he sort of encouraged me. I didn't even realize that there was, like, a, um, a public scene, um, BDSM scene, too. Um, from there, I realized that all these people were, like... I was like, oh my god, they're my resources. Like, um, I somehow fell in with the rope people, and mm-hmm. mostly I was just bottoming from the beginning, and eventually, um, and so I got to like hang out through some really cool workshops, and it was like not um, possible for me to like sit there for hours, like watching people like do these ties over and over again, and not start to like sort of absorb some of it, mm. and from there, like I started using it, and I realized that my clients had never experienced bondage like that like for them it was like I really it was a really novel experience to like and because I was very self-conscious at first that's why I mentioned it earlier um I was very self-conscious about being slow and making mistakes and like I'm kind of like I need to make sure that you're having fun the entire time that we're playing and as soon as I constantly checking in yeah I know is this okay do you like this I know I know are you having a good time please be having a good time like (laughs) but but yeah like when I realized that you know so many people were excited about it and because they probably felt like they, you know, that there's a certain kind of person that gets tied up. Like, it's a beautiful young girl. Mm. Like, and not, like, some middle-aged guy. Like, you know, they didn't think that they would be, could be the subject of that sort of attention. And being able to do that, I realized that I had some, like, very willing models who would be very patient and very happy with, like, you know the simplest things and from there sort of just like you know worked on it um in sessions worked on it at home with my roommate she would let me like just tie her in different positions like had a lot of fun with that and then you know making friends and I started going to conventions and stuff like that um it was it was a lot of fun like I I think that yeah it is being that openness like I always think when I go to a party um I I have like a little bit of social anxiety so I like to I love going and doing a scene and like I've realized that if I don't go and do my thing and put that out there like I'm not going to see it mm. and once I go and I've done whatever crazy thing I want to do and like I feel happy I can sort of see who's reflecting that energy back at me Absolutely. and it helps so much <laughs> God well it has been just a Absolute pleasure to have you here, Margot. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your expertise. I hope people mm-hmm. listen and take heed. I hope so. They better. <laughs> yeah, you hear that? Margot says you better. So before I let you go today, I want to play a little game. We're going to do a quick round of sexual questionnaire. Question number one. Spectrophilia is a sexual attraction towards A. Ghosts. B, people who wear glasses, or C, Phil Spector? The answer is A, ghosts. Spectrophilia is a sexual attraction toward ghosts or spirits. Question number two. The most common sexually transmitted disease or infection in the U.S. is A, HIV, B, herpes, or C, chlamydia? The answer is... C. Chlamydia. With over 1.7 million infections in the U.S. last year alone. Question number three. A pap smear tests for A. Yeast infections, B. Cervical cancer, or C. 
hepatitis? The answer is B, cervical cancer. Question number four. In 2019, the male celebrity that women who fantasized about men reported fantasizing the most about was Channing Tatum. For men who fantasize about men, the most fantasized about male celebrity was A, Ryan Gosling, B, Timothy Chalamet, C, Billy Crystal, or D, Zac Efron. The answer for most people was D, Zac Efron, but for this Mamma Gemma right here, it was Mr. Billy Crystal. Question number five. True or false, the most fantasized about female celebrity, regardless of the fantasizer, was Jennifer Lawrence. The answer is false. It was Scarlett Johansson. Question number six. The average erect penis length is A, four to five inches, B, five to six inches, C, six to seven inches, or D, 14 inches. The answer is 14 inches. You are all tiny. No, no, no. The answer is B, five to six inches. And finally, last question of the day, true or false? A Cleveland steamer is a variety of soft-shelled steamed clam pulled from the Cuyahoga River. False. It is a sexual act where one partner defecates on another's chest and then rubs it in with their butt. Come on, folks. What were you expecting? A nice, clean question about clams? Thank you so much for tuning in today. Please make sure you're following and subscribing to this podcast and send us those questions via our Instagram DMs. Now you get out there, Cleveland steam to your heart's desire, and embrace the taboo.